want to, again, encourage you to turn with me to another portion of Scripture than the portion we've been working our way through in Ecclesiastes. I'd like for you to turn with me today to Proverbs 11.13. Proverbs 11.13. For we read these words, A talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Dear ones, it seems so often that uh, gossip is the quote-unquote acceptable sin countenanced amongst Christians. Murder, immorality, Stealing and lying may be wholeheartedly condemned within the Christian community. But to lesser or greater degrees, gossip among close friends, family members, amongst members of the Church of Jesus Christ almost becomes a test of friendship one to another. You're just not a very close friend, it would seem at times, if you do not gossip with one another about the faults, the weaknesses, and sins of others. In so doing, I submit we have violated time and time again one of the two commandments upon which the Lord Jesus said the whole law hangs. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. From our text today in Proverbs 11.13, we learn the following two truths. First of all, the one who gossips cannot be trusted, according to Proverbs 11.13a. And secondly, the one who is faithful proves himself to be trustworthy, according to Proverbs 11.13b. So our first main point, the one who gossips cannot be trusted. Look with me at Proverbs 11.13, the first part of that verse. A talebearer revealeth secrets. Solomon quite literally declares, he who walks about as a slanderer uncovers secret counsel. A quite literal translation from the Hebrew text. He who walks about as a slanderer uncovers secret counsel. The word used here for a talebearer comes from a Hebrew word that refers to a merchant who markets his merchandise by buying and selling. In this case, The trade of the merchant is to buy and sell juicy information about others that should be kept hidden rather than exposed, should be kept buried rather than uncovered. How, you may ask, is the information about others sold? Well, certainly not for money. But it can be sold the price of friendship. Or it can be sold for more information that that person will receive about others. Because there is this kind of reciprocal relationship. If I share certain things about others with you, then perhaps you will share certain information about others with me. 
And so that can become the price. Though it may not be explicitly stated in so many words, the bargain is exactly that, as I've just stated. And of course, there is usually some qualification made at the outset, particularly as Christians, we know that gossip, you know that the Bible teaches that gossip is sin. So there's usually some kind of qualification made at the outset, which is supposed to imply how this is really not gossip. And it's not to be told to anybody else. Like, we may use something along these lines. I heard this from a very reliable source. And whatever you do, don't spread this information to anyone else. So the tell-bearer also ensnares others by making them feel very special. That they ought to be privileged to have this piece of information that that they have entrusted this person with this juicy piece of information about another person. What is so hypocritical about all such gossip is that very often the talebearer binds the recipient to a confidentiality that he or she is not willing to keep. In effect, I can share this information so that it's not confidential in that sense that I can share it with you, but you can't share it with anyone else. In order to really understand better what it is that we are not to do, that we're not to gossip, we first need to understand what gossip is and what gossip is not. If we're to obey God and if we're to avoid this particular sin. And so let's consider, first of all, several things about gossip, aspects of gossip, so that we can better understand what gossip is. And then we'll talk about what it is not. What is gossip? Well, first of all, Gossip is spreading an evil report about our neighbor behind his or her back. Not out of love for our neighbor, but out of envy, resentment, malice, or hatred. For example, our neighbor who may be a family member, may be a member of the church, may be a friend, may even be a foe. If that person is more gifted than we are in certain areas, we might tend to cut that person down to other people by revealing his weaknesses or her weaknesses to others because we envy their gifts and their graces. Or if we have been ungraciously treated by that person, maliciously treated by that person, we may want to avenge ourselves against that person by uncovering his or her dirty laundry laundry to others. This is certainly an aspect of gossip. Another thing to consider about gossip and what it is. Gossip is also digging for the dirt. 
digging for the dirt on others, like some kind of investigative reporter who's got a job to do in order to make ourselves look informed or important when we divulge the gory details we have uncovered to others. Thirdly, gossip is at times committed even unintentionally when certain information just tends to slip out of our mouths that we should not have shared. And we had no reason to share with others. And it can happen unpremeditatedly as well. But if we realize what we have done, we still have a responsibility, even if it was not premeditated, even if it was unintentional and it's merely slipped out. We still have a responsibility to go to those to whom we have shared this information and to stop it at that point with whomever we have shared it, to stop it and to confess that even unintentionally, though, again, we did not intend to hurt someone, it still was something we should not have shared and to ask that person to forgive us for the information that proceeded from our mouth. Because, dear ones, there are not only sins committed premeditatedly, but even sins that can be committed unintentionally and ignorantly. That's why there were sacrifices in the Old Testament for sins of ignorance. We commit sins all of the time, perhaps. No doubt that we are unaware of and it's very important that we not only confess the sins that we know we've committed against God, but we find in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, the sins we know we've committed, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness as well. Another aspect of gossip. You may partake in the sin of gossip not only by spreading an evil report, about others, but also in receiving an evil report about others. You see, there once we partake in the sins of others when by our, our silence we do not seek to stop the evil report that is given to us. For example, if we ourselves do not rob a bank, but knowingly receive the money that was stolen from the bank, are we not a partaker, an accomplice? Are we not complicit in that same sin? So likewise, we become a partaker in the sin of gossip when we receive information about others that we should not have received. Our silence in such situations, dear ones, implies our consent and willing participation in that sin. Turn with me to Exodus 23.1 for a moment. Exodus 23.1 where we read from God's word, the commandment of God, thou shalt not raise a false report. And the word raise there actually can be translated to receive. 
thou shalt not receive a false report. I think in the context, it's better translated receive than raise. Thou shalt not receive a false report. Notice what it says next. Put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. In other words, by receiving a false report, you become an accomplice. You join hands with the wicked as an unfaithful, as a false witness. When you do not speak up and say, that is information that I should not receive. By your silence in receiving a false report, you join hands with those who are spreading the false report and become false witness. When you're about to receive some report from someone about another person, ask the one who is giving you this information the following questions. Do I need to know this information? Now, you may not uh, be able to stop them before certain of that information gets out of their mouth. But as soon as you realize what is going on, say, excuse me, do I need to know this information? Do I need to have this information? And if so, can you tell me why it's important that I have this information? Another question. Has the sin involved what is being spread to you, being shared with you, has the sin involved passed through the process of Matthew 18, which basically says that we go to the person who has committed a sin, first of all, we confront them personally with their sin. We try to keep the process as narrow as possible, not as public as possible, but as narrow as possible, first of all. And then if there is obstinacy, if there's a, uh, an unwillingness to repent of the sin, then we bring two or three witnesses. And we bring those witnesses for the purpose of confirming, verifying the facts about the case, the information. We do so also for the purpose of helping the person who has sinned to come to acknowledge his or her sin so as to repent of it. We don't do so to be vindictive. We do so because we care for the person, because we love the person, because we want to be restored to the person. If you're only asking, dear ones, for advice, if you're on the end of sharing certain information with another, and if you are only looking for advice, which is fine to seek advice from somebody you trust. If that's your motive, no problem. If you're only asking for advice as to how to handle a situation, present the situation in a hypothetical. Remove the names that are involved and simply say, if this kind of a situation were to occur, how would you advise me to respond and to react in this situation? See, that shows that a person really wants advice and not to commit the sin of gossip when they're willing to seek advice and to leave a person's name and all the gory details out of 
the scenario that's presented. And another question to ask is, can love cover the sins and the weaknesses of those involved? Before you share any information, even by way of advice or counsel, can love cover the sins and the weaknesses of those who are involved? Another piece of advice, if you're on the receiving end of that type of information, try to change the topic. You know, ask, first of all, this is something I need to know. If in your judgment it is not, uh, try to change the topic to something more edifying. Now, I know you may not end up being, in that person's opinion, the most popular person. You may not make it to the, to the top ten in their popularity uh, estimation or contest, but uh, you will be glorifying God and you will be loving your neighbor. You'll be doing what is right in that kind of a situation. And I dare say that anyone who hears you take that kind of caution and use that type of wisdom may be offended, but they'll probably be offended not at you, but more so at the fact that they realize they shouldn't have shared that or even attempted to share that in the first place. I believe you will come near winning their respect if you do it in the right manner. We have to realize, dear ones, if the tellbearer will give you information about somebody else, the tellbearer will share with someone else information about you. You cannot trust such a person to keep confidential what you have shared with them and perhaps he or she has shared with you. There's just no, no foundation for trust there. If you silently partake in this sin by receiving such reports, I dare say you will likely be burned yourself by the tellbearer. Thus, be careful not only in what you share with others, be careful what you receive from others as well. Let me also say as well with regard to what gossip is, Gossip may either be an outright lie, a misrepresentation, or a distortion of the truth, or it may be factual. It may be a very accurate representation of the truth, and yet it can still be gossip. Just because we get all of our facts straight and what we share with others does not necessarily acquit us of the devastating sin of gossip. For gossip or tell-bearing, dear ones, does not so much have to do with the specific nature of the content and information that's shared, whether it is true or not. But gossip deals more with the motive 
the reason and the consequences involved in making merchandise of the information that's shared and how it will likely hurt, damage, or perhaps destroy another person. Here's your checklist to consult before opening your mouth to others. Here's your checklist. First of all, is your motive in opening your mouth without report about your neighbor a sincere love to obey God and an earnest desire to be faithful to him? Is that your motive? Or is the motive of your heart rather envy and discontentment with your own lot in life? A self-righteousness and uh, a superiority to exalt yourself and to put others down? Or is your motive a contempt uh, of vengeance against your neighbor for the sin he or she has committed against you? You see, dear ones, our motives must be thoroughly examined before we share information with others. And that motive which ranks above all other motives is this. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Are you sharing the information you're sharing in order to glorify God? A second matter to check before opening your mouth to others is the reason for divulging this information about another because God requires you to do so in his law. Because God requires you to do so in his law. In other words, was it easy for you to share this information with others or did it almost have to be pulled out of you because you knew to hide it would be to sin against God and the principles that you find in his word? Dear ones, none of us are free from the sin of gossip. We all fall and have fallen into the sin of gossip. We've all been guilty of this devastating sin that not only destroys our lives, but destroys the lives of others and destroys the peace, the purity, and the unity of Christ's church. There aren't any fingers being pointed at particular individuals today because we're all guilty of this particular sin. And we all need to realize how important it is that we are cautious with what we say and how we guard our tongues. As I said earlier, have you followed the biblical principles found in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17? Have you sought to keep the information as private as possible, only going to the next step to to involve two or three witnesses after there has been obstinacy in the one who has sinned? And then after obstinacy continues with two or three witnesses, then it is carried to the church for the elders of the church to handle that matter. Have you followed those principles in Matthew 18? Have you followed the principles likewise in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, where it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, 
meekness, that is humility, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You see, if we go with pride, we have that vindictive spirit, contempt, anger. If we have uh, that air of superiority about us, rather than meekness and humility, God says in his word that you, that I, that we all may find ourselves in the same situation as that person who has fallen into that sin, if we're not meek and if we do not approach them with meekness and in humility. A third matter in our checklist here before we open our mouths to others. Are the likely consequences to be that this is the best way you can see to truly help this person? Have you gone to those who have the spiritual gifts and graces to advise you? Have you spoken to your minister, to the elders, to a mature Christian friend as to what you can do to help your neighbor who may have fallen into some sin? For it is not gossip to seek advice as to how to help someone or advice as to how you should respond to some sin that's been committed. But carefully seek to keep the situation about which you want counsel, as I said earlier, in the hypothetical when you want advice. Will you seek to protect the name and specific details of your neighbor? Or if it's really advice and counsel that you want, then the person's name is immaterial. It may become necessary, however, to share specifics due to the urgency of a situation because something has to happen immediately, something it can't wait. And so there may be a time just to go to someone you trust and simply to say, this is what is happening. This has to stop now. It will destroy that person and others immediately if this something isn't done right now about that. And then action should be taken. And then, you know, because of the urgency of the situation, Matthew 18 isn't an option. You can't take it through that kind of a process because of how urgent the situation is. We've looked at what gossip is. What is it not? First of all, it is not gossip, as we just alluded to. It is not gossip to seek advice or counsel from your minister, elder, or mature mature Christian who has the gifts and graces to help you and to help the person concerning whom you have less than a flattering report. But as we said earlier, there is ordinarily no need to give specifics Keep your representation in the hypothetical and give only that information that will get the advice you need while protecting the name of your neighbor. Be sure, secondly, that when you seek out such advice that you have all your facts straight. Make sure you've got all your facts straight. That you're not misrepresenting any parts of the situation. Be as impartial as you possibly can. If you want sound advice, be impartial. If you simply want somebody to agree with you, 
then don't care about the representation you give. Because if we can find all kinds of people to agree with us if we slant the story in our direction. But if you really want sound advice, be as impartial and objective as possible in asking for help. Do not draw conclusions on insufficient evidence when you seek advice from others. If you're asked for advice or counsel, if you're on that end where someone comes to you and asks for advice or counsel, I encourage you to be aware of promising and absolute confidentiality before hearing information from others. What you may hear, in fact, may require you to tell someone else in authority or at least seek the advice of someone in leadership. you will then be accused of breaking a promise if you have already given a promise of confidentiality. So when someone begins sharing something with you with words like, now you can't share this with a single soul. Beware. Qualify your listening with words like this. I want to help in any way that I possibly can And I will not share what you're about to share with me with anyone unless it is absolutely necessary to do so. Unless it's absolutely necessary to do so for your good or for the good of others. And as a general rule, as a general rule, never give information to anyone that you're not willing to write out, as it were, on a piece of paper and sign your name to. If we follow that rule, we'll be less likely to let just anything proceed from our mouths. A second thing that gossip is not, it is not gossip to share information that is already public and widely known, disseminated, provided we do not do so with sinful motives but with righteous motives as stated before. Because even though information may be public we can still do it for the wrong reasons. In such cases there is no secret that's being revealed if it's already a public matter public error a public sin. For example, if we should discuss among ourselves the public views of various ministers or churches with whom we may disagree, we have not fallen into gossip so long as we accurately represent their positions and discuss those issues with a view to our own profit, to the profit of others, and to the glory of God. Thirdly, it is not gossip for elders and ministers to discuss among themselves privately various sins and problems that they have received by way of information among the flock of Jesus Christ. So long as they do so, again, in order to glorify God, in order to aid struggling Christians in order to restrain sin and in order to promote the peace, the purity, and the unity of Christ's church. They are, according to God, entrusted with the souls of those who are part of their flock. 
And in order to do so, it means that they must discuss what is best for this person or that person or this family or that family. If there are particular sins that arise, problems that arise in individuals' lives or family situations. However, again, a caveat. When that happens, even amongst elders, when that happens amongst ministers, it should always be with the right motive, love for God, for the right reason, because God requires it of them in his word. And it should also be done looking to the right consequence to help and to restore that particular brother or sister in question. Elders have a great responsibility before God to help others, not a great license to speak against others. And finally, this should be obvious to all. It is not gossip to share a good report. It is not gossip to share a good report about our neighbor with others. For we are commanded to rejoice in the gifts and the graces of others. That's edifying. To share what God has done in someone else's life with somebody else. To show or to demonstrate the power of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and what the Lord is doing in his faithfulness and helping others. That's certainly not gossip. Though it is sharing information about someone else with a person, that kind of information is not gossip. That is an encouragement, an aid that is edifying and building up the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's learn, dear ones, from the way in which God has treated the sin of gossip and the very pages of Scripture, the grievous nature of this sin. Remember how Ham, one of the sons of Noah, gossiped about his father who was drunk and unclothed in his tent and Ham happened to see and went and gossiped to his brothers about his naked father, mocked him. Rather than going and doing what he should have done, which the other two brothers did, they respected their father to such a degree they walked backwards into the tent and covered his nakedness rather than speaking against him to others. They tried to cover the sin rather than to expose the sin. Ham was cursed by God. His generation, those that proceeded from him through Canaan were cursed by God. Miriam and Aaron. Again, it's not those merely that we consider to be outside of the kingdom of Christ, but even some we look up to who were guilty of the sin of gossip. Miriam and Aaron gossiped, it says in Numbers chapter 12, verse 1, about Moses having married an Ethiopian woman. And God dealt with them because what was behind this was that they 
were showing contempt for the position God had given to Moses. They were in effect saying, you know, is, God, is Moses the only one who receives revelation from God? And so, due to their own sense of, of superiority, wanting the gifts and the graces that God had given to Moses, they spoke against him and spread this evil report about Moses throughout the congregation of the Lord. God smote Miriam with leprosy. We read that in Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 through 16. And so let us take heed to these examples. God tells us and shows us how seriously he takes the sin of gossip. Not only, however, do we have these examples that have been committed unto us and how God judges the sin of gossip. We also have God's expressed precepts. We've talked about Exodus 23.1 already. We've looked at that. Consider also the precept that we find in Leviticus chapter 19. Uh, verse 16, where it says, Thou shalt not go up and down as a tell-bearer among thy people, as a gossiper, as a whisperer among thy people. Proverbs 16, verse 28 says, a froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth cheap friends. One of the sins that God hates in Proverbs chapter 6 is one who sows discord and contention amongst brethren, and gossip leads to division and contention amongst brethren. In Romans 1, 28 through 32, you can look this up at your leisure. God even puts whispers or those who whisper, those who gossip. Even ranks that amongst other sins like murder, fornication, adultery. Dear ones, we must understand very clearly that if one had not committed any other sin, but had only one time committed the sin of gossip, and that was the only sin that a person had committed, that person would be worthy and deserve everlasting condemnation and judgment in hell for that sin because it is a violation of God's word, God's law, God's commandments a sin for which we need forgiveness from God. Why does God forbid us to gossip? Why does God forbid us to gossip? Let me give you five reasons very quickly. First of all, it violates the law of love. You can't be showing love for your brother while you're gossiping behind your brother's back. 
Second, it destroys others. Gossip destroys others rather than benefiting others. And I'd submit if it's not an act of love, if gossip's not an act of love, then gossip is an act of hatred. Third, why does God forbid us to gossip? It's a cancer that will spread throughout the whole church until it has infected everyone. Gossip feeds upon itself and continues to grow the more it is fed. Fourth, and this should be obvious from what I've just said in the preceding statement, why does God forbid us to gossip? It destroys the peace, the purity and unity within the body of Christ. It divides us rather than uniting us. And fifth, it denies and contradicts our profession of love for God. Because John says in his first epistle, in chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, I'll summarize. John says that if you do not love your brother, if you do not love your neighbor, if you do not love even your enemy, if you do not love those whom you can see, how can you love God whom you cannot see? You see, John ties together those two commandments to love God with all of your heart as the chief commandment and the second like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. John binds those two together and says, if you do not love your neighbor, how can you say you're loving God? It's an empty profession of our lips. It's not being demonstrated if we simply can go about and gossip and speak evil of one another. Aren't you thankful, dear ones, that the Lord did not gossip about you? (coughs) Merely speaking evil of you, even if everything he said was true? He did something about your sin. He didn't simply speak evil about your sin. He didn't simply say, you have sinned. He didn't simply go about to others and say, do you know, thank God he doesn't do this with us in this life, go about and tell everyone the sins that we have committed. There is coming a day, however, in which all of our sins will be known before all men, which ought to be an incentive to avoid even the sin of gossip. But God does not do that with us in this life. I'm thankful that God did something about my sin rather than simply gossiping and going to everyone who knows me and telling everyone about my sins. He did something about it. He set his love upon me. Me and you, though we had spoken evil of him in every way, though we had sinned against him, and violated his good laws. He did something in sharing and in pouring forth his love upon us. He sent his son to become sin for us. That through faith in Jesus Christ, we might become the righteousness of God in him. Simply speaking evil, dear ones, about us and doing nothing to love us 
would not save us from our sin. It's a fact that God loved us and sent his son to be the satisfaction for our sins. That saved us, not simply speaking evil about us. God reached out to help us. He who knew the worst about us. He who could have shared everything that we have ever thought to our family members and to our friends has chosen not to do so, but he has shown us love and mercy through Christ our Savior. Very, very briefly, let us consider the second main point. The one who is faithful proves himself to be trustworthy. In Proverbs eleven thirteen b where we read, first of all, a tell-bearer revealeth secrets. Notice now, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. I would simply have you observe at this point that one who is faithful does not either divulge information about others that is not helpful, nor does he feast upon the gossip which others may try to feed him. He is faithful. Why? Because he seeks to bury and cover all sins of others that he possibly can and only exposes them when he must according to God's word, when he must do so in order to be faithful to the Lord and in order to help that erring brother or sister. The one who is faithful seeks at all costs to keep the sins of others as narrow as possible, not as broad as possible, not as public as possible, but as narrow as possible, and only involves witnesses when there is obstinacy in that person's life who refuses to repent. Witnesses are not those with whom we share gossip. Witnesses are those who actively become a part of the Matthew 18 process in seeking to help the sinner to acknowledge his sin, to repent of his sin, and to seek the forgiveness of God. That's why we have witnesses, not simply to share juicy information with them. I would like to emphasize that one is faithful who can handle information without feeling like a a blown up balloon that is ready to pop with pride over the information he or she has just received or behavior he or she has just observed in another. I ask you, dear ones, can others trust you with information about themselves as they seek your help and advice and prayer with a weakness or a personal sin? Or do they say in the back of their minds, I wonder if I should have told that person that information because you're not sure whether it's going to go to someone else or not. Do you only divulge information when God requires you to do so? Or love for the brethren compels you to do so? Is there hope Is there hope for us, we who find gossip to be such a besetting sin in our lives? Absolutely, there's hope for us. For where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. 
But dear ones, there is no hope if we don't recognize our own sin in this area. For what do we have to confess and what do we have to remedy if we don't recognize the sin that's in our hearts and in our lives by way of our gossip with our lips? If we rather excuse our gossip, if we rather seek to justify our gossip, if we well up with self-righteousness rather than being humbled before God, then there will be no remedy. There will be no hope because we willingly continue in our sin. We willingly continue to deceive ourselves about our sin. Jesus Christ, dear ones, died to forgive us of the sin of gossip. He died to remove the penalty which we deserve, everlasting hell, for the sin of gossip. He died to deliver us and to set us free from the power of gossip in our lives. Dear ones, we can never overcome the destructive sin of gossip apart from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, apart from the power of Christ the power of his Holy Spirit working in our lives, humbling us, convicting us of sin and drawing us to our Savior so that we plead for his mercy to overcome this particular sin. How can we overcome gossip in our lives? First of all, we must earnestly desire, as I said, to overcome the sin in our lives. Second, we must acknowledge to God that it is not a harmless sin, but a destructive sin against our neighbor. Thirdly, we must daily seek God's forgiveness for this sin and the forgiveness of any with whom we have committed this sin. We must go through, look at our past day. At the end of the day, we're looking, reflecting over, did we gossip? If we find this a sin in our lives. We must, at the beginning of every day, fourthly, set a guard over our lips praying that God would give us knowledge of, that he would help us to realize when we begin to open our mouths to share certain things with people, is this information that is needed to be shared with that person? Is there some reason? Will it glorify God? Will it benefit someone in sharing this information? Fifthly, we must remember that God did not gossip about us Although if anyone ever deserved it, we did. Sixthly, we must realize the pain. Now, we've all experienced and all, I'm sure, been on the side of someone having gossiped about us. And having heard and learned what someone said and how that hurt. The pain that that, that affected us, the heartache that affected us. How can we, having known that pain, go forth and seek consciously to inflict that pain upon others if God does not call us to share that information, if we do not have a sound and biblical reason for doing so? That's not an act of love, dear ones. That is an act of hatred. Seventh, 
if we fall into the sin of gossip, we must rise, we must rise up from our sin rather than giving up and simply saying, I can't overcome this sin. We must rise up when we fall. We must persevere in doing what is right before God, no matter how many times we fall into that sin, that we renew our obedience, that we seek the mercy of God to overcome that sin. There is far more grace available for sinners like you and me than sins that we could ever commit. Far more grace and love in the wounds of our Savior, in the blood which was shed for us, than any sin or number of sins that we could commit. Let us humble ourselves before the Lord and seek his mercy and grace to overcome the sin of gossip in our lives. Let us covenant, each one of us covenant, before God that we will seek by God's grace to love one another and avoid this sin which is so destructive to the peace, the purity and unity of Christ's church. Dear ones, in so doing, we will assure ourselves that we truly belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and that his love abides within us. It is one of those test of assurance that the Lord gives to us in 1 John that we belong to Jesus Christ, that we love the brethren, that we love the brethren. And this is one way we demonstrate we love the brethren. We do not gossip. We do not gossip about one another. Love for one another is an evidence that the Spirit of God abides within us. Let us stand together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, send thy spirit to convict us of this sin. Tear down, Lord, all of the rationalizations and excuses, self-justification that we have used And show us, O Lord, how we have sinned against thee and against our neighbor. Lord, grant us a hatred for this sin. Grant us, O Lord, that we would desire to flee from it. And to seek thy forgiveness for how we have offended thee and one another. Our Lord, we pray that thou would help us. Cast this upon our Savior, who knows our sins and who knows our weaknesses, but who invites us as a sympathetic, as our sympathetic high priest, to come unto him with all of these sins and all of these weaknesses that we have. We pray, our God, that we would find hope, that we would find faith and forgiveness and love all in the bleeding wounds of our Savior and in the power of his resurrection for nothing is impossible to thee thou art able, O God to overcome even this sin in our lives 
We thank Thee, O Lord, for Thy many promises. And we do receive them through faith in Christ our Savior. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.